So uh, I entitled the message today, uh, We Have Never Seen Anything Like This. We Have Never Seen Anything Like This, which is a direct quote out of the passage uh, that I'm going to be going over in Mark 2. Kind of a famous story. It's actually repeated three times in each of the Synoptic Gospels. It appears in uh, Luke chapter 5, and it also appears in Matthew chapter 9. I love the Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are so cool because it's kind of like having a, a different digital camera set up at different angles, taking a picture of the same thing. And sometimes they offer a little bit, you know, when you harmonize them, they offer a little bit of a different story. I was thinking about this one uh, not that long ago. I'm not on the Internet a lot, but occasionally I see interesting things. And I saw a new technology. It's a new ball, actually, that um, has hundreds of cameras inside of the ball. And they can take the ball and they can throw it up into the air and it spins around. And in the end, it formulates a 360-degree all around the, the sphere video capture image. And they were talking about how this is going to be used in the future for sports. And so that when you watch TV, you know, maybe, or different videos, you'll be able to actually pan the screen in whatever direction you want. Oh, let's look up at the sun. Or oh, let's look at that. Or look over here. Wouldn't that be cool if we had more than four Gospels actually bringing it all together? Or even more cool if we were there in the midst of the situation. I don't know uh, if you've ever thought about that before. And I've always thought if I was able to build a time machine, where would I go first? And I have to say that I probably would go back to the time during Jesus' public ministry and I'd have to get, figure out how to get over to Israel just to see some of the things that, um, that are written about that our faith actually is built upon. And this story is a famous story about a paralytic. Um, I was praying about this, actually. What is it that God wants uh, me to speak on? What is it that he wants us to hear as a group? Uh, when Paul approached me some weeks ago, and I was smiling after I kind of landed on this passage in Mark chapter 2 because there's this just an incredible picture there uh, in Mark chapter 2. And we were <clears throat> a couple of, you know, this, have you noticed this winter has been really strange here in Chicago? I mean, really odd just saying it's really just been up and down. I mean, I'm kind of enjoying it. I kind of like the, the higher temperatures. I'm not the super fan of, of snow and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I like snow. I just don't like it on the roads or causing me more work in any way. I, I, it's cool on the slopes when I have an opportunity to go skiing, and uh, so I enjoy that part. But it's been so. The other day, we, we for Chris, for Christmas, our son Aiden got an electric scooter, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm one of those upgrade people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when I look when I go to buy something, I'm thinking, you know what what could this look like? You know, and there's always well for this much more, you can go this much better. You know, and that like. You know, I got, and then you start mathemat. I mathematically calculate it out. You know, well, for twenty dollars more, you can get that many more watts. Anyways, we ended up with this scooter, this big scooter, right? It's huge. It's four hundred and fifty watts. It's got a seat on it and everything, and uh, so we can ride on it. Well, I didn't realize that. You know, he's only six years old. So with a four hundred and fifty watt scooter, um, I can't keep up with him when I'm on my bike, which is a little bit dangerous because he can go really fast. And I'm like, I'm like pedaling like mad in, in the highest gear. And, of course, he thinks that's funny. I'm thinking I'm, thinking I'm going to lose some weight this spring, actually, is what I'm thinking. But uh, the other day we were riding it because it was warmer weather out because of this interesting winter that we're having. We're going around the block. And uh, he was like, yeah. And I'm like, isn't this so cool? Because I'm riding on the back, and then he's on the front of it because it's got the seat thing. I just think it's got to look hilarious with the two of us riding around our neighborhood on this little scooter. And, uh, <clears throat> and he, goes, he goes to me. He's like, yeah, this is really cool, Dad, but it's not as cool as Jesus. That's what he told me. And I was like, are you, are you, are, is that for real? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, you know what? 
Um, this was after, by the way, that I had landed on Mark chapter 2. He goes, um, and you know, he actually healed a guy who was paralyzed because they let him down through the roof. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I was already in, like, prep and stuff. And I'm not big on the mystical, you know, things, although I, I like that kind of idea because I'm always looking because our God is invisible. I'm trying to, I'm always asking him, help me to see you in the middle of things. And even though he doesn't, like, he's never spoken, I know he can, but he's never spoken to me with a, um, with like an audible voice. But you know what I'm talking about? You know his voice. In fact, Jesus even says that, that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I think that there is that opportunity and he makes himself known in so many ways. And I was just like, wow, that's so cool, Lord, that you could do that. So it's just another confirmation. That being said, I'm really excited about the message because I really believe uh, that this is exactly where God wants us to be. Um, now, uh, this morning I was, if I were to summarize this whole thing up, in the Gospel of John, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 5, Jesus is actually talking about how he relates with the Father and how um, everything that the Father does, he does. So the Father has life and he has life and he does this. And, and in fact, he even goes so far as to say, I don't even speak a word except for the words that the Father gives me. I'm just saying that would be a really cool gift for those of us that are gifted with the more extroverted word gift. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know how many times I think about that, but... I, more often than not, because I can't keep thoughts inside, I'm always thinking, come back words, come back. And, uh, you know, wouldn't it be cool to only speak the words that the Father gives you? I mean, that would be really cool. You know, you're always speaking things that are beneficial, not kind of downgrading people, not being embarrassed by anything later on down the road. Although there's always that opportunity for increased humility, which is one of the things that I love about the cross. Because if my Savior actually took my sin on the cross and then died and then was raised, that's enough for me to apologize when I offend others. Are you with me? But in this story, in John chapter 5, if I were to sum up this whole message about um, we have never seen anything like this, this is what Jesus said. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. That's some pretty cool stuff. I mean, God is actually after humans, individually and corporately. The Bible is saying that He's wanting to bring people out of darkness and into light, and He wants to increase our awe of Him so that we may marvel. And part of that process is coming to see Jesus for who He really is. And so we have the Gospels. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, we're just going to read the story, and then we're going to kind of take some pieces and parts out of it. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Just an incredible story. You know, Capernaum was actually a a base of operations for Jesus. It was the home of Peter and James. And so a lot of things happened here. And Jesus obviously is returning home, it says. He returned there, and it was reported that he was at home. So the word got out. Jesus is back in town. And I love this gospel. I don't know about you, but I love the gospel of Mark. There's, each of the gospels has their own personality to them. And um, I'm always quick to remember, Mark is my action-adventure gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Action-adventure. If those of you like action-adventure movies, you know, they have whole genres like on Netflix or when a movie comes out to the theater, if you're a movie sort of a person, you know, you're like, oh, looking for the next action-adventure film. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of in that genre with guys. I, I sort of like the action-adventure stuff. I like special effects. I like explosions. I like a plot. It doesn't really need to be there a whole lot as long as it progresses and there's lots of explosions and other things happening that we like. So, not that long ago, there was a movie out at the theater that we went to go see, Thor, which is part of the whole Avenger thing, if you like to see superheroes. I think all superheroes are actually types of Jesus. That's just my personal take. So I'm one of those people that like to take apart stories like that and see Jesus in some of them. And uh, we were there, and it was, you know, uh, Isaiah was home, and he was pretty excited about the film. He's like, yeah, it's really good. And uh, so we went to see it, and it really was really good. But then there's this one section, like 20 minutes for whatever reason, that directors left in it that had any, it was all about romance. And there was no action in the film at all. It's like things are blowing up. He's got the hammer. There's all this stuff happening. And then there's this section. It's like, what's the point of the romance in the middle of the action-adventure movie? Of course, I have my, the female, more sensitive part of our group that was there who is quick to remind me, that needs to be there. And I'm like, no, it does not. It needs to be more like Mark. Immediately, this happened, and then immediately this happened, and then immediately this happened. And you actually see that. That's one of the key words in Mark, and you see that in the story, too. Um, and so immediately this happens. Well, one of the themes, and, and one of the, the other pictures that you get out of Luke, that as Jesus is returned to Capernaum, is this fact that the scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus' popularity is increasing and increasing, and they hear that he's there, too. And so they actually gather up. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, it says, on one of those days, Jesus was teaching. We know he's in this house now. And if you ever, have any of you ever been to Capernaum? Have you ever been there and seen the ruins? You can actually go and look it up. I mean, the houses there, the ruins that are there now, the houses are really small. I mean, they're all rock built and very small. There's not a whole lot of space. You see that in the story. There wasn't even enough room. People are standing outside the door and everything that's going on here. But they knew that he was there, that he was teaching. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. So somehow they had wiggled their way in. Even though the space wasn't much, they were there with him, right in, in the house with him while he was doing the teaching. And, um, and they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem 
And the power of the Lord was there with him to heal. And so you, you just get this backdrop, this picture of all the stuff that's going on. He's returning home. People are excited. He's in this house. The teachers of the law are thinking, okay, here's this young teacher. I don't know really what, you know, some of them are thinking, you know, there's something incredible about him. And, and not, you know, not, sometimes they get the bad light. Not all of the Pharisees and scribes um, were always 100% against him. You know what I'm saying? Some of them stood up like Nicodemus. He came to him at night. And in the end, he was involved in, in the removal of Jesus' body from the cross. So some, and they spoke up even in the Sanhedrin during some of uh, the judicial movements. So some of them, so some of them were coming to really hear. Some of them were just there with their pen or whatever. You know, they had their papyrus and their ink or whatever they had. And they're like, yeah, go ahead and teach it because I'm looking for whatever I need to get the dirt on you because I know that you're going to make a mistake and I'm going to be there when you make a mistake. But they wiggled their way into the room too and you have all this stuff happening. So in this action-adventure gospel of Mark and this story happening, Mark actually illustrates one of the main points is about Jesus' authority. And that's the first bullet of my outline, which is Jesus, seeing him, changes everything. Jesus, seeing him, changes everything. Authority is actually a huge um, uh, topic in the Gospel of Mark. It's a theme in there. And there's specific things that Jesus has been given to actually accomplish. In fact, if you think about this, this actually freaks me out sometimes. But if, you, if you've ever memorized Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And then you get down to verse 10, for we have been created in Christ Jesus our new man has been created, brand new, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Don't, that's, that's no different than what Jesus had. He had specific things that God had in mind to accomplish. You, as a follower and as a disciple of Jesus, have specific things too. And so this stuff still applies to you. And in this case, um, he... You know, Mark is illustrating some of the authority that Jesus had been given by the Father. Now, there's some things that we can glean from and that we are just like him in. And then there's some things about Christ that are completely distinct because he's deity with skin on, okay? He's deity with skin on. And here's some, here's some thoughts about authority from the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus teaches with authority. I mean, it wasn't like he had a whole bunch of... Uh, teachers that he went to, and he had all of these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees um, commentaries and scrolls that he carried, and he's like, okay, we're going to be teaching on Exodus chapter 20 this week, and I just want to let you know that I've gathered up all this information back here, and tw- you know, 20% of the Pharisees and Sadducees scrolls that I have think this is the way that it goes. The other 80% are like this. And I'm kind of in the 80%. But in this other area, I'm kind of with the one lone ranger, and I'm in the two... He doesn't do that at all. In fact, the way that he taught came across like, bam! And they were... It was like, wow, this man actually has authority. In fact, not only was it with his teaching about God, but he also demonstrated authority with demonic beings. And so that, that actually amazed people as well because he had, you know, sometimes frequently when he would get into an area where someone was being demonized, the demons would like speak out like, hey, don't hurt me, don't do this. And remember, he'd have to shut them up all the time like, hey, I want you to be quiet. In other occasions, he would demonstrate his authority by casting them out. So he had authority over demons in Mark, authority over the supernatural world. In Mark also, you see his authority over nature when he calms storms and he multiplied loaves and fishes. 
Actually, in my Bible reading this morning, it was part of that story. You know, he did that at least twice. One time with 5,000 people and another time with 4,000 people. And I'm always just, I'm, I'm always amazed about it because, you know, the disciples, I always feel like one of the disciples, I'm always kind of slow. Even if they saw it the first time, they still didn't get it the second time. And then how does that work, you know? Hey, I want you to feed them. Lord, what are you talking about? There's no super Walmart to go to. And even if there was a super Walmart near this remote area, we don't have enough money to do it. Well, what do you have in your pocket? What do you have in the basket? Seven loaves and two fishes. All right, well, just let's pray over it. And wouldn't that be interesting? Like if you were the distributor, you know, you have like the basket, and you're like, every time you take a loaf off, you just got, I'd just be, I'd be having a hard time connecting with people because I'd just be like, dude, it's still there. Yeah, that's just incredible. And they're kind of handing it out, but he's demonstrating his authority over nature. And all of those things actually had metaphorical teachings as well. Another thing that he demonstrated his authority over is healing. He had the ability to heal diseases. He cleansed lepers. He, he healed people of blindness. He raised people from the dead. I, for some reason or another, too, I don't know if you struggle with this in your Bible reading and memorization and stuff like that, sometimes some of the most uh, life-impacting doctrines I really have to work for, like to remember them, you know, like Romans 5, 6, 7 stuff. I'm always, like, working for it. I always have to be reminded, oh, man, I totally forgot that. That didn't really apply in my life totally. But, but, but then there's these other Scripture passages that I always, for some reason, my mind just gloms onto them. And even though they're interesting, like they don't necessarily have huge, significant spiritual impacts in my life other than the fact that I collect them in my mind and so I talk about them frequently. One of them uh, came up again in my scripture reason about God's healing of power. And that was that at one point when, um, you know, the story of the man who was, he was uh, deaf and dumb. And so Jesus actually spit on his hands and then he, he like gave him a wet willy and he put the spit in, in his ears. And then, and then put it on its tongue, and, and then he turned his eyes up to heaven and said, open, and he could hear and talk again. Immediately, it says again. Immediately, he could do this stuff. And it's just so interesting that he would use spit like that. And you know, there's other stories where he spits on the mud, he spits on the dirt and makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, go wash it off. What do I see? Oh, I just see trees. Oh, let me do it again. And then he spits on it, puts mud on his eyes again. I mean, we don't do that very frequently in church anymore, but... Uh, it's just interesting that he would do that, and, and it makes me wonder from time to time, Lord, will you ever call me to do that? I mean, that would be really interesting if I had the opportunity to do that. Maybe some of you have a gift of healing, and you know what I'm talking about, or you've actually had an opportunity to use that sort of authority in Christ. I don't know. Uh, another thing is his authority and his ability to forgive sins, which is at the center of this story that we're going to be looking at today. Just an incredible, incredible uh, power. And we're not talking about just, a, you know, there's, it's one thing, if someone were to hurt me and to damage me in some way, and then I have an opportunity at that point in time to say, hey, I forgive you. You know, I, I forgive you for the hurt that you caused. That's significant. That's huge. In fact, we need more of that uh, within our lives. But Jesus had the ability not just to forgive those who had offended him personally, but he forgave them and absolved them of sin, like entire lives of sin. It's an incredible amount of authority. So that's one of the things that, that um, Mark actually builds onto. Another thing about seeing Jesus, not just his authority, but seeing him, and this is what I've just been building on, is his authority to heal. You know, one of the things we, we believe in our church, we believe that God still has the ability and still does heal people. That's one of the distinctives of uh, the alliance, actually. And if you ever looked at our symbol, you know, there's, uh, there's a, a picture, actually, that talks about that. 
you know, that God still has a... There's a difference there, though, between faith healing and divine healing. You know what I'm talking about? One actually puts the object or the strength or the ability for healing on a person's ability to believe that it's going to happen. And another one actually looks at it and says, wait, 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 wait. God in His divine decree has the ability because He's made us and He holds the universe within the span of His hands, which is this much, His hand, He can hold the entire creative universe within the span of His hand, has the ability to control the entire universe all the way down to the molecular level of our bodies. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. I think that's literally. I think He holds my body together by the word of His power. And if He's so willing, and He is willing frequently, He does and can heal. He does it for many different reasons. He does it for, um, for compassion. And you can see all of this in the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus, you'd think he'd be really tired and then the people would come and just out of his loving compassion, he would move and the power of healing would be there for him. And frequently he had compassion and he would heal the sick. Sometimes he heals to glorify his son. Like in the, in the Gospel of John, the story of Lazarus is just an incredible story, by the way, of Lazarus dying. But it actually says in the Gospel of John that that Lazarus died so that, in John 11:4, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. And so some illnesses and some healing actually happens specifically for the magnification of the name of our great God. This is one of the reasons why, at the beginning of our services, we have opportunities to give testimony, like we've heard this morning, about God's healing power and His ability to do things. By the way, that doesn't mean that He doesn't use you know, uh, medical means either. We don't throw that stuff out. That's a gift of grace that He's given. And, and there's a lot to the fact that men are intelligent. Even God recognizes that. In the, in the story of Babel when he says nothing will be impossible with these people when they get together and start studying together and working together. It's incredible. And so we don't throw that out, but God still has the ability to heal. He heals in response to faith. You see that in this story today. So there's something there, you know, where faith and God's divine presence come together and manifest through healing. From time to time, that happens. And there's different types of healing as well, right? Physical, emotional, spiritual. Some that you can see and some that you can't see. And some that you can't see is more significant than that which you can. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear that? Um, and then he manifests, this is, this is important, he manifests the authority of healing through the church. I, I know we don't, we don't actually, because this is kind of a scary area, we get out onto thin ice sometimes in this, but the Bible's pretty clear about this. Jesus even said when he sent them out, when he called all the disciples together, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He told them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. And he said, you received this stuff freely. It's me doing it through you. So I want you to be generous and give it out to others. Okay? I want you to be generous and give it out to others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is where one of the spiritual gifts, you know, there's two twelves, two fours about spiritual gifts, right? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and then Ephesians 4, although Paul just talked about that. Is it a gift or is it an office? Just leaving that out there. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, where he divides gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. One of the gifts that God has given to the church 
to believers is a gift of healing. It actually says, to another, he gives the gift of faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. And so through the church, there's a manifestation of healing ministry. In fact, in James, it actually says, and we do this from time to time, that if any of you are sick, that let him call for the elders and come to the leaders of the church and they will uh, anoint the one who is sick with oil and pray for them. And if they have sinned, their sins will be forgiven and they can, be, they can find healing. And so we practice that in James chapter 5, that we believe that God has given that. By the way, just as a sidebar, I just have a, a passion about this particular arena because I love God to, to lift up more and more a healing ministry through and in our church body. I've been asking him for that for years. But just let me throw this out there as a little bit of a thought for you guys to be thinking on. If someone has the gift of teaching, but they never get up and teach, the manifestation of that gift does not happen. And I'm just saying, sometimes I think we have in our idea or in our mind that stuff just is going to happen of its own accord. God is asking for us to partner with him, just like Moses in seeing the burning bush. He saw it, was invited in, and so we embrace that relationship and we come into it. I'm just saying, what if one of you has been given the grace of the gift of healing as a spiritual ministry, but you never pray for anybody? I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Because maybe some of you do, and you don't know it yet just like someone with the gift of teaching and has never exercised that gift, okay? So, seeing Jesus changes everything. And then the last thing, just phenomenal, is his ability to forgive sin. Just, just incredible in Mark chapter 2. In fact, it's so stunning. Uh, the, the, the greatest miracle here in, in the story, for me personally, is not that he got up after being paralyzed for as long as as he had been paralyzed and took up his mat and walked. In, in comparison, actually, I know, I want you to put on, believers, put on your Jesus glasses with me just for a minute. Those, those things that the world would look at and say that is absolutely incredible, in comparison to Christ, is small. Are you with me on this? What's, let me try and illustrate it. Raising someone from the dead and then they die again is not as significant as someone having their sins forgiven and then being granted everlasting life. They're just going to die again. Don't get me wrong. The spiritual, the physical healing and the, and the raising of the dead and the casting out of demons are there for the glorification of God. But don't miss that the greater picture, the greater miracle is the very presence of God in the middle of that room willing to pardon a human being who had offended a holy God and was able to absolve him of their sin. It's absolutely incredible. In fact, Peter or, uh, uh, David wrote this in Psalm 32. Blessed is... Think about this. This could be the song of the paralytic. This could be the song. I don't know if his mouth was paralyzed or not or if he could talk, but if he could... This would be a song that he would sing, and it's also one that we sing. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Think about this paralytic in the picture of it. I mean, I'm certain that he was groaning. And the fact that his body would no longer respond. His mind might have been active, but it would no longer respond to the electrical impulses that his mind was sending to his body. And here he is, captured, a prisoner in his own body. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. That's faith right there. I came to you, Lord. I came to you with my sin. I came to the cross. I came there. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes were there, and they're just, man, this man is, why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. In fact, you know that it was blasphemy that was the final judgment that was utilized to, for, for the Jewish uh, leaders to, to declare that he was worthy of a death penalty. Because under the Old Testament law, blasphemy was worthy of death. And they were just using it all the time. I mean, it comes up over and over again. And some people think, well, Jesus has never really declared to be God. I'm telling you, he was there. You know, did he ever say that he did? In numerous cases. In this particular case, he said, I have the authority to forgive sin. It's stunning because in Isaiah it says, God said, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, I will not remember your sins. I don't think it was a bad argument that the scribes and Pharisees had. I think that if I was in that genre, I probably would have said the same thing. I cannot believe he's doing this. I cannot believe he has the ability. He's like 31 years old, and he's telling that man he has the ability to forgive his sins. Now, the stunning part is, is that on top of that, the guy actually got up. It wasn't just a word. And, and so it makes me think of that... Um, of C.S. Lewis's story again in Mere Christianity, where he basically says, look, there's only three options for Jesus. Either he was lying, and he knew he was lying, and that's just unloving, just telling you straight up, this is unloving. Or two, he was a lunatic on the level of a poached egg, and he was crazy, and he believed everything that he said, but he was just a nut. Or three, he really was who he said he was. And when he said he had the ability to forgive sins, he really had the ability to forgive sins, And part of this is that there was demonstrated works of power that came along with those confessions, like the ability to heal a paralytic of their iniquities. Listen to Micah 7. Who is is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot, and you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You know how God did that, how that was fulfilled? Jesus. That's exactly how he did that. Jesus came and tread on our iniquities, and the way that he did that was written about 700 years before he was even born in the book of Isaiah, when God said, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in the hand of his Messiah, Jesus. And out of the anguish of Jesus' soul, he will see, God will see, and he will be satisfied. You know how that's put in the New Testament? Jesus became a propitiation for our sins. In other words, 
the punishment that Jesus took on his body through the scourging and through the beating and through the humiliation and ultimately to being nailed onto a tree and hung between heaven and earth. And the Bible says that everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And Jesus became a curse for us so that we might have the curse removed. And then he was buried in three days and three nights, the sign of Jonah, and then was raised from the dead. All of that was fulfilling Micah chapter 7. Jesus was taking the iniquities of the world and he was trampling them underfoot. Fulfilling Genesis chapter 3 too. That, that there will be enmity, there will be hatred, Eve, between your seed and between the serpent. And the serpent is going to bruise his heel. But the seed is going to crush the serpent on the head. And, and part of that is not just the destruction of Satan, but also the destruction of his passionate work, which is sin in our lives. And so Jesus has taken it all on, man. He's taken it all on. And here's the beautiful, amazing part to this whole picture, is that he knows about this in advance. And it's, it's glorious when you read the Gospels, because you get to the point, and we're coming up onto this, this Lent season, and I hope that it's a time to treasure you know, all that, to, to think about what he did, but you get to the, the, to the Garden of Gethsemane and the travail that Jesus went under, the, the agony that he suffered in the Garden, saying, Father, if there's any other way to actually trample sin underfoot, if there's any other way other than this, then let's take that path. Otherwise, if this is the only way, then not my will, but yours be done. But in the middle of it, I'm telling you, in eternity past, they knew about it already. Jesus knew when he read Psalm 22, when he, when he read the scriptures, he knew exactly what was going on. And here's the thing. God knew, Jesus knew, that he was going to pay that penalty. And because of that, he said the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Because to God, that payment had already been paid. Jesus already knew. And when he looked down on that paralytic, and he saw the faith of the friends and the faith of the paralytic, and he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Think about what he knew he was saying. I'm taking your sin on myself. It's not going to happen for a couple of years in time space, but I'm doing it right now because the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins here on earth. And that is absolutely stunning. A thought on Jesus' comment in verses 9 and 10. If you look at... uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 10, where he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, take your, sin, t- your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go home. And, and, and I'm saying, which is harder? It's harder to forgive sin. I mean, who can do that but God? And so he was illustrating to the scribes and Pharisees, and I think he was giving them, this is, this is my picture of God, but I think he was giving them an opportunity to repent of their religious paralysis and acknowledge who he was in his mercy and grace, demonstrating, because they knew in the Old Testament that the Messiah to come would be God in human form. They had Isaiah chapter 7, for unto us a child will be given, unto us a son is given, or unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There's so many other passages in this and they were not able to see it. Which leads me to point two. The scribes and Pharisees, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. I'm just saying, we all have a tendency, especially in, 
in uh, evangelical Christianity in a church like ours that is all about, like, we believe the Bible, we believe in its inerrancy, we all have a tendency from time to time to take on some level of religious arrogance. And the danger of that is that it's really difficult to see. It's, sometimes it's easy to see when we're crossing moral boundaries that God says you don't, shouldn't do, right? Like, for example, it's easy to see if I go and steal someone else's stuff. I'm not supposed to do that, necessarily. And I'm saying that religious arrogance is much more sneaky than that. It sneaks up on you, and it can paralyze you, and it can blind you to things. And then rather than demonstrating the greatest commandments, which are what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you begin to become judgmental. And so what ends up happening is, sometimes Jesus shows up. Although he's invisible, he shows up in a room, just like in this story. He shows up and he does something amazing. But our religious background and the arrogance that we have not repented of and that we grip onto and that we assume blinds us to his presence and instead what bubbles over rather than awe and marvel is judgmentalism and condemnation. I'm just saying, that's what happens. And we say things like, well, God would never do anything like that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't operate like that. God, God doesn't work in the church like that. He doesn't do that. He would, never, he would never be involved in that. There's no way, there's no way that God would do that in their life. Look at the way that that person lives. There's no way that God is involved in that person's life because of the the choices that they're making. And and we begin to make judgmental calls for people, let me tell you, that are outside of the faith. And we think that they should be living as if Christ is empowered in their life and they're they're humbling themselves and, and walking in a manner. I'm telling you, like even believers aren't doing that. And we get judgmental. And rather than love, we begin to get criticized and say that we are haters. And we're not taking on the very image of Christ. Jesus actually said this over and over and over again to the Pharisees. One thing that he said was when he was sitting down with tax gatherers and sinners, the scribes and Pharisees were like, they were all the time this was happening. I can't believe he's doing that. Why is he doing that? Why is he hanging out with those sinners? Why is he letting that person touch him? I can't believe that he would let that woman hug him. Doesn't he know what type of life that she's lived? You know, who, what in the world? God would never bless the ministry that this has. And you know what he said to him? What Jesus said to them? In Mark chapter 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, what a play that is. Oh my goodness. That was like, he just kicked them right in the middle. Because uh, what he was really saying was, you think that you're not sick. I've come to heal the sick. You really are sick, but you don't see it. And, and that's just like, I don't want to be that. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm always, God, help me. If I'm going to learn about you, as we learn about God, we should be growing in our confession with Paul. You know what that confession was? I am the worst of all sinners. I am the worst of all sinners. So let me just tell you, I don't try and get judgmental about how many tattoos people wear or whether they're living a life of of uh, external holiness before they meet Jesus. Why would I ever expect that? The Bible doesn't expect that. The, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. We ought to love. 
but without compromising truth. That's the challenge. We need to be loving, but without compromising truth. And sometimes we hold so fast to the truth, we just rip love out of it. And in so doing, we paralyze ourselves and become blind even to the movement of God in the middle of someone's life. Because we're like, I'm not going to go over there. God's meeting with people. And you're not going to be there because you're sitting over. And God would never work in that person's life. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Jesus is new wine. He requires a new wineskin. He's the fulfillment of the old, but he's also bringing in something brand new. And we ought to be recognizing that and embracing that. All right. Don't be that guy, Pharisees. Point number three, the friends. What are you willing to do? This is just an incredible story. You know, Mark is the only one that actually brings out the fact that the, that the paralytic had four friends that actually helped to get him there. And I like to use my sanctified imagination to think about this, but hey, Jesus is back in town. Jesus is back in town. We need to get Bill over there. We need to get him over there. I don't know. I, I have like a, I think I have like a, a, an exaggerated super hyper conscience. I don't know if you guys have anything like that. I think my son has that too, unfortunately. But uh, So I, I have problems with like just regular, everyday, normal things are huge barriers for me, like taking stuff back to Walmart. I just don't like it. I just don't like doing that. You know, I don't like taking, you know, I feel so bad. I'm like, I bought this product. It's not working out. I, I'm using you as a rental organization. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. No, just bringing it back. I just don't like talking to the Walmart people. So I'm always like, Reg, can you help me out here? You know, uh, one time we had a business, and, and uh, we, uh, Reg was working with me in the business, and uh, it came time to collect money. And the, the person, like, paid the money. And they were like, yeah, you know, I just want to let you know I threw in some extra money here for a tip. And they, weren't, they were only, like, 75% of the real bill. And I was like, Raj, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can't tell the guy. Like, come on, can you? So she, I like sent her, like, she's my emissary. I'm like, can you go over there and tell him, like, I feel so bad about this, but he thinks he's giving me a tip, but he only paid 75% of the bill. And uh, so, you know, what was it like with these friends? I'm just telling you, if I were one of the four friends, this is one of the arguments I would have. Hey, let's go over there. Let's get Bill. We need to get Bill. I'm just giving it. That's not inspired, by the way. I'm just telling you. I'm just making up a name. We need to get the paralytic in to meet Jesus. Because when he sees Jesus, things are going to change. And I'll be like, yes, yes, I'm so in. We're a team. Ready? Ready? Three, two, one, break. All right, let's grab him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at that crowd. Uh, let's come back tomorrow. That would be me. I'd be like, that, that's just not going to happen. But what do they do? They don't give up. They just don't give up, man. They, they climb on the roof. They figure out a way to get in there. I actually think that, when I kind of think about stories like this, I think that, you know, the Pharisees kind of worm their ways, way in, the scribes, and they're sitting right up in the front. And God probably orchestrated it so that they wore, like, their Sunday best or whatever it was, their Sabbath best. And they're, like, digging out, the, and the, the dirt is falling on them. And they're just like, man, what's going on? Hey, stop that. Stop. And again, that's leading to their blindness, to not being able to see the beauty of it all. But the friends take these risks. You know, they climb up there. They dig a hole. They bring them down. They let them down through the hole. They're doing everything that they possibly can to actually get their friend to meet Jesus. And there's a couple things here. One, Jesus was able to see their faith. In other words, their vision of Jesus and their desire to connect their friend with Christ led them to take risks. And they were not afraid to do it. Number two is, I think we need fellowship. I think we need one another. 
I think we, because some of us, like me, need some extra prompting. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I get a little bit more bold to like throw tracks at people or talk to things when I'm with others. And I'm just saying, sometimes when it comes to the gospel and, and, and for facilitating getting our friends to Christ, we need one another. I mean, isn't that part of what Paul's after in the praying for the ten people? And praying for ten people? I'm just saying, are you still doing that? I hope that that's the case. Today, one of the people in the 8 o'clock service mentioned that as they've been praying, two of the people on their list have called them up since they've been praying for them in a desire to meet with them. And I'm saying, this is where we need to go. We need to take risks. Are you willing to look foolish sometimes even in the eyes of the world because your God-entranced view of Jesus is so significant that you're willing to break through the fear that you might have to make sure that people have an opportunity to meet with him? Because that's their only chance. You with me? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Are you willing to put aside some of your pride in a desire to, 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 for people to move out? Here it is. Ready? The, the paralytic is a, is a picture. It was a real paralysis in his life that Jesus touched him of. But it's also a picture of sin. Are you with me? So that... We need to be connecting our friends up with Christ so that they might be absolved and their lives will be changed. They will have the awe that you have. Are you willing to take steps to do that? Are you looking more for the benefits that God brings with Him rather than God Himself? Are you willing to speak? Are you willing to be a sower of seeds? Are you willing to be a harvester? Sometimes... It's not just about sowing. Sometimes it's like it's time to glean. Take, take the gleaning and, and, and harvest that life into life. One day, all of this is, is rooted around faith, by the way. We had this tree in our backyard. It was a, a Crimson King uh, maple tree. I really like those trees. It's kind of odd. They're a darker tree, you know, with like dark uh, red leaves. And... Um, it was there for a couple of years right next to our feeder, our bird feeder, which it kind of generates some natural um, fertilization. The trees usually do really well, but our tree died. Our, it started to die, and I was so sad because it was like my favorite tree in the backyard. And I thought of this verse, actually. I wrote it down. Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says... It will come to pass. It will be done for him. Do you believe that? I'm just saying, that's a pretty intense passage right there. I mean, talking about prayer, but do you believe that? What does your faith look like? And does your faith lead to action? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply that verse. I'm going to apply that verse on my tree in the backyard. So I went out there, and I was like, I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I command you to live. You know, I'm like, I'm just trying. I'm like, I believe, I believe God could do that. I'm serious. I'm not being, I'm not being light. Reg can tell you this really happened. And I'm like, I, I want this tree to live. And, you know, it wasn't just generating faith. I'm talking to God. I want you to... So, you know, a couple days. Every day I was looking at the tree to see if it would live. And uh, a couple days later, a couple days later, I went outside and there was all this new life actually springing up from the bottom of the tree. And I was like, yes! Mountains can be moved. 
Now, of course, the tree did die, so... It, I, <laughs> but I was going to give it my all. But I'm just saying, if I'm willing to do that for a tree, are you willing to take a risk with your friends to get them connected up with Christ? It really comes down to, what does your faith look like? You know, part of the healing of the paralytic wasn't just the faith of the, of the man laying on the mat. It was the faith of his friends. It says in Mark chapter 2, seeing their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Who's your fig tree? That actually comes out of the story when Jesus actually, that, that, that tree story actually came when he withered a fig tree with a word. And then he used that illustration to teach us about the power of prayer. All right, so there we are. Have faith in God. All right, what's our next step? How do we apply this story? Some of us might be the paralytic. And there's so many different ways to actually illustrate that. Let's start with someone in this room might be outside of the faith of God. Your sins might not be absolved yet. You might not have met him and been healed of your sin and, and, and have the, the paralysis, the, the paralytic sin removed from your life. He is here right now and is able to do that. And it's just as simple as just confessing your need of him. You know, whether or not the paralytic was able to talk, I think he really did know Psalm 32. He was willing to say, I'm casting all of my hope on you. I can't even move. I have no help outside of myself. And sometimes we're trying to do that. We're trying to reach God on our own. And part of the story is you cannot do that. But God has reached out and has reached out into your life even right now. And it's simple as confessing your need of him. And in that moment, the entire paralysis of sin is taken care of. All of it. From beginning to end. Past, present, future. Before God, you will be made righteous. You will be given the right standing of His Son simply by coming to Him by faith and confessing your need of Him. I'm, I'm one that it should be done with the mouth because of Romans chapter 10. It says that with the mouth one confesses their need. I'm just saying that I think that that's part of the Bible. Part of the Bible. But it doesn't have to be something weird. It can be in your heart, even right now. Some of us are like, and we suffer from the parallelism of the Pharisees and scribes. We have been taught so much truths from the Bible, and rather than those truths helping us to marvel at Jesus, and in so doing, growing in our love for him, which then translates into a love for others, we're becoming more and more judgmental. We're categorizing people outside of Christianity. And there's a lot of them here in the city, my friends. And they need Christ. They need Him. Wherever it is that we live, in our schools, everywhere. And we don't have any time 
to play around with arrogance. We need to be healed of that spiritual arrogance and ask God to remove that, that paralytic nature of that arrogance from us and then prevent it from ever striking one of our limbs again. And so, that's part of it. And then some of us, we need to be more like the friends in the story. And uh, that might be that we just need to encourage one another. Or it might be that you have somebody that you know and you need to connect them. I'm not talking about bringing them through the doors of this church. I'm saying they need to meet with Jesus, wherever that is. And he's everywhere. So how do we connect people up with him? And is your awe of God in such a way that when you know he's in town, you're thinking about ways to actually connect your friends with him? I know early on I remember working on a piece of electronic equipment for the FAA, and, and I was, it was almost so distracting because I told God that I thought he made me into a freak, number one, uh, because I was, I was always, I'm forever trying to work on the electronics, but I'm also thinking, how do I tell my coworkers about Jesus? How do I do this? How do I connect them? How can I, how can I take this electronics and turn it into a conversation about the Lord that will have impacts in, our, in their lives? And I'm telling you, it's a lot easier than we expect it to be. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Our faith is greater than our fear. And our God is greater than all. And he is able to accomplish what we cannot. We just need to stand aside. But I think he does ask us to take steps of faith and to um, listen to the works that God has given to you. In this case, Jesus had a work to perform. There are some that you and I have to perform too. Ephesians 2.10 God has created us in Christ Jesus, Christian, for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Let's embrace that, whatever that means. Let's embrace that and let's encourage one another more and more as we see the day approaching. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. Thank you for this incredible story. There's so much to it. Thank you for the way that you have delivered us of our paralytic sin. Thank you for those that maybe even this morning their eyes are opening more and more to a need to meet with you. Thank you that you are desirous of meeting with us. That in and of itself is a stunning fact. And we're asking, Lord, that you would capture our hearts in ways um, that would lead to us saying, on a regular basis, in fact, every single day, in the morning and at night, and we're singing your praise, we have never seen anything like this. And what we're talking about is not just what you do. It's who you are. And then as we're caught up in that, that it would lead to our desire of being bold. Whatever that looks like, Father, come. Connect us together in a way that would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.